0: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement in the Madison area and the surrounding communities. I'm Sandy Park, a retiree from both American Federation of Teachers and WSEU. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WRT possible.
1: Hi. I'm Gil Halstead, a former member of the Wisconsin Education Association Council and United faculty and staff. This week we have an update on a Madison Starbucks vote to unionize and hear what MTI says about the school district budget, find out how the decision to overturn Roe impacts union contracts, hear from participants in the Poor People's March in Washington, D.C., and get a new statistic of the week, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WRT and Labor Radio.
0: A Madison Starbucks store has voted to unionize. Carlos Gennard of Workers United spoke to Greg Jabosky of Labor Radio about this victory and the nationwide struggle to unionize the coffee chain giant.
2: Workers at the Starbucks Cafe at 1 East Main Street in Madison's Capitol Square have voted 15 to 1 in favor of unionization following a count of ballots by the National Labor Relations Board yesterday afternoon. One East Main Street became the first of the chain's locations in Madison to do so. The workers will join the Chicago-based Midwest Regional Joint Board of Workers United. According to Lee Marfiak, a worker there, I'm elated to win such an overwhelming victory for us by the Capitol, but I'm not surprised. I've seen what we can do on a farmer's market peak. Banding together is something we do daily. I was proud to call us partners before. I'm even prouder to call us union today. Labor Radio spoke today to Carlos Gennard, assistant manager of the Midwest Office of Workers United, located in Chicago.
3: The final vote count was an incredible statement of strength and of lack of fear from these workers as they won their vote 15 to 1. And we're extremely happy that they're part of our union family and that they're part of the labor movement in Wisconsin. I think this victory, right at the footsteps of the Capitol, sends a really strong statement, not just to the company, but to all powers that be, The labor is back. We're back and we're going to demand reforms where they're needed. And we're back because... We want to make sure that America's working class gets on a better stand every day.
2: Gennard describes the communication network used by Starbucks worker organizers.
3: They have a very intricate and sophisticated communication network. Pretty much every time a shop going to the fight by filing for election, those workers have the opportunity to become members of this communication infrastructure, which is one of the things that we have learned about so much. We haven't dropped a paper leaflet at this campaign. Everything has been done digitally. These are young folks who are very digitally advanced, so they use a lot of, it's, it's all digital communication. This is something that we'll be talking about for years to come, and I'm sure that it will affect other campaigns.
2: This election victory, and all of the organizing at Starbucks, has come in the teeth of vicious and possibly illegal pushback by the coffee corporate giant, says Gennard.
3: They are firing people the day after they vote for the union with a complete disregard for what the labor board is going to do. We had a huge victory in Plover, Wisconsin, two months ago. And very soon after that victory in Plover, they fire the union leader for no reason at all. I believe that Starbucks knows that they're violating the law, but because our labor laws in this country are so weak and they have so much money, they really don't care.
2: The new Madison Starbucks union members will be able to participate in national negotiations if they want, says Gennard, who noted, though, that Starbucks has shown that they will do all they can to stop that key first contract. Starbucks Workers United, so pretty much
3: everyone who has chosen a union, is being given the opportunity to participate in the national bargaining team. And all these workers are participating. I know that requests for bargaining has gone out in some shops, uh, the company has not been uh, very open to bargain, and as a matter of fact, there was an injunction issued, I believe it was, it was in Buffalo, because the company is just not wanting to bargain. Howard Schultz has been very vocal about it. It's a violation of labor law, <laughs> and he still throws it out there once in a while, and nothing is being done.
2: Gennard has a shout-out to the labor community here.
3: I really want to thank the labor community in Madison and in Wisconsin. Anytime these workers have a victory, I think everyone in the labor community should take credit for it. Every time we've had actions, every time we've had events, every time we've had anything, the showing and the support that we've received from the labor community has been overwhelming. We couldn't be more happy for the support that we've received from unions. The labor councils in Madison, the labor councils in Milwaukee, the Wisconsin AFL-CIO. Everyone has been
2: amazing. That was Carlos Gennard of the Midwest Office of Workers United. Three more stores in Dane County have filed for representation, one in Monona, one in Fitchburg, and the University Avenue location in Madison, all part of a nationwide union movement, which now includes almost 200 Starbucks locations. Frank Emsbach contributed to this story. Some background information was provided through Channel 3000. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky.
1: The Madison School Board approved a preliminary 2022-23 budget Monday night with a 3% base wage increase for staff. That's less than the 4.7% increase Madison Teachers Inc. is seeking in negotiations with the district, a maximum set by the Wisconsin Employment Relations Commission. Labor Radio's Ellen LaLuzerne spoke with Michael Jones, president of Madison Teachers, Inc., about the union's reaction.
4: What's your reaction to that budget that the board passed?
1: With
5: passing the budget at 3%, especially with the most recent news that because of state funding, the district is poised to get about $13 million, and they already put it into their budget, but without any of it going to employees which I think speaks to the priorities of the district that they don't really value the work and the labor that goes into maintaining this district. You know, Martin Luther King says a budget is a moral document. It shows your priorities. And I think the district's priorities is uh, more administrators and more money to squirrel away for a rainy day without realizing we're in the middle of a hurricane.
4: What have the conditions been like?
5: Working, the usual things that come with education where you're working late nights, early mornings, weekends, but then honestly uh, affecting our physical health, whether that's further exposing ourselves towards COVID in order to work with kids, and also just the extreme emotional and mental health toll that this year took.
4: Can you outline what MTI's priorities are for the budget?
5: Our demands were that all employees receive a 4.7 cost of living adjustment as dictated by the state in terms of what the limit is Inflation is far above 47 I think last time, seeing it's hovering somewhere between 8 and 9%. We're not really hitting the cost of living, but we want to just do the max of what's allowable under Act 10, and that includes advancing people on steps and lanes. And then the big piece that we really push for this year is really increasing the pay of our lowest paid employees, our EAs, our educational assistants, and that includes security, nursing assistants secretaries, tech support services, but a lot of people who honestly keep a building running are often some of our lowest paid employees. They're right now making, uh, starting at about $15.96.
4: And for clarification, step movement reflects length of service or longevity and lane movement for teachers reflects an educational component. How are your members reacting to the conditions in the district?
5: We're seeing a large exodus of people leaving the district. And we're not just talking enrollment, we're talking staff. You know, they're leaving for higher wages. They're leaving for better conditions in terms of promises of being treated better by their employer. Some of those are natural consequences. If you treat people poorly, people will leave.
4: What type of plans does the union have to try to pressure the district into changing their budget priorities?
5: We're going to be making sure our voices are heard through our actions. It's pretty clear as many chances as we've given them, how they truly feel about us. We're just going to have to go to the community.
4: Are you looking at any kind of direct action?
5: That's something where we do that collectively. Collectively, we decide, you know, that's literally our motto. United we act. We've already had conversations, but we always want to have those conversations knowing we don't want to do anything that would damage the community and our relationships with our students and our families because we hold those sacred. But we also need to make sure, especially making sure the community knows, we can't be taken for granted. We can't be martyrs forever in this.
4: Property taxes in Madison are already pretty high. So what do you say to community members to justify what you're asking for?
5: We have the money right now as a district to pay the employees the full cost of living adjustment. Where we were between the district's original offer of 2.0, between 2% and 4.7%, plus the $5 raise for our educational assistant, we estimated somewhere between 7 to $10 million. At the last board meeting, the chief financial officer said that they got an additional $13 million. $13 million versus the 7 to $10 million that would cost we're not talking about increasing anyone's property taxes. We're talking about the district using the money they already have and not spending it on frivolous things.
4: Is there anything you'd like to say to the community in terms of providing support for your situation?
5: Really communicating to the board of education and the superintendent that they will not stand for (laughs) its employees being mistreated and undervalued. It's tough to ignore parents taxpayers, students on the matter. It's a little bit more difficult of a voice to ignore, especially if you are one where you are up for elections.
4: Do you have any final comments?
5: It's easy in the summer for us to lose that energy that comes, but I think everyone should be preparing themselves for an eventful fall. We're trying to resolve this before the fall so we could focus on what needs to be done in our schools.
4: Thank you very much. That was Michael Jones, the president of Madison Teachers Incorporated. I'm Ellen Lalazern for Labor Radio.
1: The teachers union is asking community members to contact school board members to voice their support and to sign the petition to support a cost of living adjustment for MMSD staff. You can find details at MTI's website at madisonteachers.org.
0: Union members who are covered by national union contracts are negatively affected by the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. Frank Emspack has the story.
6: Union members who are covered by national contracts that include medical insurance have lost the right to collectively bargain comprehensive health care coverage for all their members as a result of the recent Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision. Unions negotiate national contract with firms in order to bring one standard to an industry or company. The idea of a national contract is to prevent a race towards the bottom with one location playing off another. Health insurance benefits are a key part of these agreements. Labor Radio spoke with Adam Kaczynski, president of the International Union of Electrical Workers, Local 201 in Lynn, Massachusetts. He is also a member of the IUE General Electric National Negotiating Committee. President Kaczynski. How has the Dobbs decision affected the IUEGE national contract?
7: Uh, The Dobbs decision has shifted a great deal of power to employers. That's fundamentally what we're facing down, is that we've negotiated over the years healthcare rights for all uh, health healthcare that are now under attack on a state-by-state basis. We have a national contract, but we have locals, uh, at least one local in the trigger state. And what that means is that they're being carved out by their state to receive less benefit than has been nationally negotiated.
6: How does this give more power to the employer?
7: Well, I can think of a number of ways, but one example, after hearing this at national negotiations before, is they like to tell you what benefits they pay for are less used than others, and then attack them. So, hey, this benefit doesn't work for everybody. Therefore, we no longer see a reason to have it in the national agreement. Is something that I've heard them say about other benefits in the national agreement.
6: Dobbs means that benefits workers receive in the future will be based on their place of residence, not as part of a nationally collectively bargained package. Kaczynski confirmed that it is not just limitations on medical benefits that might be involved, but the potential to limit other benefits. President Kaczynski emphasized his broader concern with the effects of Dobbs this way.
7: What I'm concerned about is is that this gives more power to the employer in negotiations generally. And that seeding of power is going to create worse conditions for bargaining for the union overall. That's the way bargaining works. More flat power for the employer is going to affect the totality of bargaining. Not just one segment of it, but everything.
6: What can the union do to re- to respond to?
7: First, we need to get a response from the company on what this is going to mean for the impacted members working in that state. I think that there's an opportunity to try to mitigate some of the damage this is causing, specifically to workers that had that benefit that now do not have it. Uh, We need to get there right away. But this is a national issue. And I think what unions need to be doing in general is calling on the Democratic Party to do what they said they were going to do for decades and protect protect abortion rights in this country. We can see the Democratic Party flailing uh, on any number of strategies that could protect abortion access in this country. Uh, unions have a role to play in that we got a lot of these people or helped get a lot of these people elected uh, with, on promises, various promises, including protecting abortion rights. Uh, we know that we could staff the court. I think unions need to be calling for the, the court to get staffed. I think that unions need to be calling uh, on abortion clinics to be built on federal land, and that our members and other workers have access to fundamental health care rights, including abortion access.
6: The coalition of unions representing General Electric workers includes large numbers of GE medical workers here in Wisconsin, where legislature wants to reinstate the 1849 law banning abortions. Thanks to Adam Kaczynski, president of IUE Loco 201, expressing his thoughts on the effects of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v.ersus Wade in the Dobbs decision, and how unions should respond, I am Frank Emzpack for Madison Labor Radio.
1: Labor Radio reporter Carol Wydell lays out how the U.S. Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v.ersus Wade will impact women economically.
8: The majority opinion of the Supreme Court reversing the Roe v.ersus Wade guarantees will seriously impact millions of women. Asha Banerjee an economic analyst with the Economic Policy Institute, described the economic impact of this decision. Abortion rights are interconnected with the economic security, independence, and mobility of women while abortion is viewed as a culture war issue it is not distinct from the bread and butter economic issues women in the 26 states likely to ban abortion face lower wages worker rights and access to health care some of the consequences of being denied an abortion are a higher chance of being in poverty even four years later a lower likelihood of being employed full-time and an increase in unpaid debts and financial distress lasting years The targeted regulation of abortion providers, also called trap laws, have led to women in these states being less likely to move into higher-paying occupations. At the same time, in states where abortion has been legal and accessible, have lower rates of teen births and marriages. Legal abortion is also associated with reduced maternal mortality for black women. Banerjee also connected abortion rights to incarceration. She wrote, States likely to ban abortion are more likely to have higher incarceration rates and lag in wages, worker rights, and access to health care. Lower and middle-income women, especially black and brown women, will bear a disproportionate burden. Banerjee wrote, Many of the states with pre-existing abortion bans held at bay by Roe are also states that have created an economic policy architecture of low wages, barely functional or funded public services at-will employment, and no paid leave or parental support. In those states, the denial of abortion services is one more piece in a sustained project of economic subjugation and disempowerment. Reproductive justice is the key to economic justice. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters
0: is on a campaign to organize cannabis workers throughout the country. We'll hear about what they've accomplished so far.
9: One year after initiating a continental campaign to organize the cannabis industry, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters is beginning to show the fruits of its undertaking. Nearly 500 workers in over a dozen facilities, including dispensaries, growth operations, and distributors, have voted to join IBT locals since May of 2021. The cannabis industry has exploded in a very short time. Ten years ago, Colorado and Washington had both just voted to become the first two states to legalize recreational cannabis. Now it's legal recreationally in 18 states and the District of Columbia, with more on the way. Alongside rapid geographic growth has come an equivalent explosion in financial solvency. Cannabis is an industry now worth over $25 billion annually. With a plant generating billions in tax revenue and a growing segment of the American public supporting legalization... More states are likely to open their doors to the industry. Ten states have either legislation or referendums pending that could legalize recreational cannabis by the end of the year. Even more states have measures to legalize medical cannabis on the horizon. With all of the profit being made on cannabis and more soon to be carved out, the workers responsible for the campaign's success in North America are laboring to ensure those that created the wealth get a piece of the pie. Quote, For far too long, innocent people were locked up for possession of cannabis. Peter Finn, Teamsters National Food Processing Director, said in a statement, Quote, Now that there's billions of dollars to be made in this industry legally, restorative justice is needed. This justice means that we ensure that cannabis revenue goes to the people who deserve it the most. We make that happen with the Teamsters contract. in Chicago. Teamsters Local 777 just negotiated a contract at two modern cannabis locations that contain a number of significant improvements, including guaranteed annual raises, a new company guarantee that workers can accept tips, seniority rights, and a guarantee of 40 hours per week for full-time staff. Employee Sydney Charles works at one of those dispensaries. In an August 2021 promotional video posted on the Teamsters social media accounts, Charles gave these reasons for wanting to organize the cannabis industry.
4: The answer is super simple, y'all. We are in the midst of building one of the largest industries this country has ever seen, a multi-million dollar industry. And therefore, there is no reason that the people who are involved, the people who are putting their blood, sweat, passion, and tears into the building of this national empire are not secure with a certain quality of life. We deserve to be able to pay our rent on time. We deserve to be able to feed our families without worry. And above all, we deserve to be able to take care of ourselves mentally and physically with health
10: insurance.
9: On Wednesday, local 777 members and elected officials rallied outside of a Zen Leaf dispensary in Chicago's Near West Side neighborhood to protest the firing of two union activists by the holding company of the store. The Zen Leaf dispensary is set to vote on whether or not to join Local 777 in mid-July. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. On June
1: 18th, an estimated thousands of diverse people converged at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. The event organized by the Poor People's Campaign, or PPC, focused on their demands that the United States put people first. Labor Radio's Keith Steffen spoke with two event participants, Matthew Thompson, PPC member and event bus captain, and Bruce Grau, coordinator of the state campaign and co-coordinator for the North Central Regional Chapter of the PPC. Steffen first asked Grau about the impact of the event, followed by Thompson giving his impression.
6: How do you assess the impact of the march?
11: It was very multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-faith. We had immigrants, we had indigenous people and ex-incarcerated people, young Starbucks workers who were trying to organize, LGBTQ people, middle-class people that are becoming poor people in greater and greater numbers. I think that what we saw was a what moral fusion. I was very encouraged by what I saw that we could actually pull that off to have so many different people from so many experiences. And it wasn't paid professionals that were leading the way. It was people that are directly impacted by the system that's gotta change.
10: I assess it on the basis of did it make connections between people? Did it make a statement in terms of what we were there for, like a declaration to build this movement going forward? We weren't in D.C. just for one day, but for a declaration that we're going to come back to make sure that these things that we are standing on to end poverty in this country, systematic racism and end militarism in this country, that those things are actually being fulfilled. What future events and projects is Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign undertaking or supporting?
11: Well, we're a a national organization, but led a lot by issues that are initiated at the local and state levels nationally. What's going to follow after this is we're looking at creating a presentation to Joe Biden and discuss what's needed to eliminate poverty in this country. We're also looking at the likelihood of a need for a call for mass direct action, nonviolent action in D.C. if our demands aren't met. We're looking at elections just around the corner. Last year, we registered over 2 million poor people
10: to vote. We are trying to think about political education with the membership and engaging all the people who have become interested in the Poor People's Campaign after June 18, as well as founding new committees like a student committee, which I will probably be part of going forward.
6: What is the best way to
10: contact and find out more about the Poor People's Campaign? The best way to contact us would be through our email and our Facebook page. So it's the Wisconsin Poor People's Campaign through the Facebook page, and that will have the email address, too, to contact us. Is there any additional information you'd like to share with the listeners?
11: Well, I just wanted to kind of quote something that one of the co-chairs, Reverend Dr. Lizzie Harris, said near the end of the March, which I thought kind of helped encapsulate a lot of what our approach in the Poor People's Campaign I'm going to paraphrase it a little. Our movement is the most, the movement that's most feared by the rich and powerful. We're here, we're poor, we aren't going anywhere. We've come together, we'll stay together, and we will transform this nation from the bottom up.
10: I would like to say that anybody can join, and we would love more people to join, especially our friends and family and labor. And I'm Keith Stefan reporting for Labor Radio. <music>
0: Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Sandy Park. Thanks to editors Frank Emspeck and Ellen LaLazerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Mark Bernard, Greg Jabosky, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, Scott McCullough, Jeanette Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Ann Powers. Thank you as well to Website Editor J.J. Meyer, and special thanks to Keith Steffen, our Reader Coordinator, and to all our readers, and to the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective.
1: And I'm Gail Halston. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts.